Thank you, gentlemen. We needed that today. I love male voices. You would expect that. But I love male voices that lead in praise to God. Praise to Jesus. Gamu, Rainer, Cesar, Charles, Chris. Thank you. And your musicians. Glory to his name. Amen. Glory to his name. Father, that's what we're saying. You receive that praise. All our voices express that to you. I have a few moments left. Would you please energize these moments? Hide the distractions. Hush the clamorings of our minds. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you imagine what it would be like? I'm serious. If the police, Little Bering Springs, Orinoco Township, I know the police, my, I have a policeman five doors down from where I live. But if the police showed up, and I'm talking about in their squad cars, red and blue, flashing, 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 they show up at every entrance into this tiny little village township. And they jump out of their squad cars. There's an officer there halting all traffic, all traffic arriving to our little Berrien Springs village. One question. Do you live on the campus of Andrews? Do you live in the village? If the answer is yes, you may go. If the answer is no, come again some other day. That happened this Sunday in <laughs> a little town in Kentucky called Wilmore. You may have heard about it. Population 6,461, small town, small Christian university in that town named Asbury University, on whose campus something rather unusual happened when they were having worship at chapel a few Wednesdays ago, and that is the worship didn't stop. They had no big gun preacher, no... no uh, visiting choir. It was just the students. And the worship kept going. The services ended, but they stayed in the Hughes Auditorium. And then the singing started, and then the praising started, and then the testimonies began, and then the confessions, and then the repentance, and then this is student. Students lead now. Then students start coming forward to the front, and all that day, all that day, chapel kept going. By the way, they're required to go to three chapels every week. It'd take a while, but you'd get it. You'd get it. All that day, into the night, now word is spreading across campus. Kids are coming back to, back to church. All that next, all that night. The next day, you got it. The next night, all that week, the rest of that week, all the next week that came, four days into the following week, 16 days and nights, 24-7. That place is packed now, doing the kind of worship we're doing right here, led by students. Unbelievable. 20,000 people this Sunday showed up, and that's why the town said, 
Adios. We cannot handle this. The president of Asbury University, Kevin Brown, released a statement. They put it on their website, Asbury University, only they opened a new page and they called the new page outpouring. Hear the president's words in that statement. All right? Put it on the screen for you. Kevin Brown on February 8, 2023. Asbury University's regularly scheduled chapel service never ended. What we've experienced since that Wednesday morning has been a current of immeasurable goodness flooding our community and quickly moving into other regions of the world. Words fail any effort to communicate the abundance of experiences and stories that will leave us forever changed. Thursday, February 23, two days ago, will mark the end of this historic multi-week gathering at Asbury University with a National Collegiate Day of Prayer broadcast hosted on our campus. We celebrated that this Thursday ourselves here at Andrews. I find it fitting that what started with college students on our campus is ending with college students joined in prayer and worship across the country. Wow. Somebody asked him why he was bringing the revival to a halt. He responded, I like, I like his words, how can you shut down something you didn't start? Isn't that good? We have a couple of PhD students down there. Their families or friends are here in town. I've read both of their eyewitness reports because they stepped into that Hughes Auditorium, experienced it, and then... I'm going to read the last paragraph of, of one of these here. The language of revival has been used a lot to describe what's going on. Personally, I would probably hold off using that type of language. The president didn't use the word once. I would hold off using that type of language because we just don't know what the fruits of this are going to be. Is it going to, be, is it, is it going to affect long-term change, repentance, you know, people turning back to the Bible? Are people going to go back to their communities and continue to take Jesus with them? Only time will tell. But if you just ask me what I'm seeing there right now, I see thousands of people who are wanting a deeper experience with God. Thousands of people from all different kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities and denominations and ages coming together to worship and pray. At the very least, I'd say it shows just how much people are in search of something more. I thought that was pretty wise. Wow. So here we are in another little town about 500 miles to the north in another little Christian university. Could it happen here? Let me give you a little bit of history. The first As Asbury revival, historic, noted in the uh, reference books, took place in 1970 in that same auditorium, same campus. The date, it began February 3, 1970. That fall, now listen to this, that fall, eight months later, October 1970, a similar revival broke out on the campus of Andrews University, in chapel, in this church on that morning. The leadership of this faith community were gathered in Tacoma Park at something they used to call Autumn Council. 
of the General Conference. They interrupted the meeting. Listen to this. They interrupted the the meeting. We just received a phone call from Andrews University. The chapel has not let out. Students are lined up at a microphone to share their testimonies. That now is history. The rest is history of a revival that started on this campus in this very place and spread to all the Adventist colleges in North America. I'm a little, I'm a little freshman or sophomore down in uh, Southern. Everybody heard about it. Wow, could it happen again? You know, I did the arithmetic. It's uh, 53 years later from the Asbury's 1970 revival. It's the same for us. It started in Asbury and went to Andrews. I suppose it could start in Asbury again and come to Andrews. Who am I to say? I was brooding over, over all of this this week, and it suddenly hit me, all those tweeted video clips coming out of the packed Hughes Auditorium. You know what? Those students, every one of them, was a Gen Zer. I'm telling you the truth. Gen Z, 18 to 25, maybe up to 30 if you wish. Every one of them. And I'm thinking to myself, that's what we got on this campus. They're all Gen Zers. Undergrad, graduate, seminary. They're all Gen Zers in the seminary. Man, you can't tell me this generation isn't open to an outpouring of the love of God. I'm so blessed to have young friends. Man, I'm the the teens at Andrews Academy, the 20 somethings here at Andrews University. Wow. Now, I know, I know, the moment, a, the moment a revival breaks out among the young, they're going to always be people who step forward and challenge the authenticity of what has just happened. I understand that. Jesus understands that. That's exactly what happened to him. One day, the Pharisees, those grumpy old religionists, came saddling up to Jesus as he's riding on the back of a donkey. The crowd has gone wild. They are jumping and hollering. Their hands are in the air. They're waving palm branches. They're praise shouting. They're praise singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the grumpy religionists race up to Jesus and say, yo, you got a problem on your hands here. We got some false revival going on. Here it is. The account in Luke chapter 19, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said to them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will shout out. Come on. This must be a counterfeit revival. I mean, people shouldn't be this happy about Jesus. Are you serious? You mean that? No, you can't. And by the way, when Jesus and his entourage finally make their way down, and sometime later they end up in the temple, the same grumpy religionists show back up. They always show up when they're not wanted. Matthew chapter 21 now, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things Jesus did, and the children this time are shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. 
Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, I hear what the children are saying. Jesus replied, have you never read from the lips of children? He's quoting Psalm 8 here. From the lips of children and infants, you, O Lord, have called forth your praise. Because what you naysayers don't realize is this is the real deal. My, oh, my. The fact of the matter is, if God is ever going to renew, if, if God is ever going to revive, if God is ever going to raise up, if God is ever going to resurrect the church that you and I belong to, it's going to take this generation. You Gen Zers have been uh, kind of dissed on enough that you're sort of callous to the thought, but it's going to take your generation. Anders Academy. Your generation, Andrews University, your generation, where God will get the most traction, the highest momentum for a strategic move. That's why, by the way, college campuses are the Holy Spirit's favorite place to begin a revival. A little German village named Wittenberg University campus, a revival breaks out and it becomes the mighty Protestant Reformation. A little college campus called Oxford University and a few youngsters get together And they become the front edge of the greatest revival to sweep the British Isles. The Holy Spirit loves the young. And he loves college campuses. So don't let anybody diss you for being here at Andrews University. This is ripe and fertile field for the Holy Spirit. He loves it. And he loves you. You got, a, you got a big friend in the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. I'm telling you. I'm, as I say, Gen Zers may be the rescue generation of God's final mobilization. Two Mondays ago, I'm here in my office. It's Monday morning. Five undergrads are sitting in my office. Multidisciplined kids. Computer, engineering, I think. I know aviation. I know theology. And whatever else. They wanted me to read a paper they wrote, three pages long. They carefully thought through, well-articulated, impassioned appeal to whoever reads it. It begins with these words. We are deeply concerned with the declining spiritual condition of the students at Andrews University. I hesitate to even speak those words because I've spent my life pretty much here and I love this university and they do too. I only speak them because I know that if I went to every other campus and said, give me five students who feel this way, they'd be, they'd be legion. This isn't the only place where a sentence like this could be written. For an hour, I listened. I asked, pushed back, I listened. It came time to have prayer, so we all knelt down and prayed around the circle together. That afternoon, I invited, invited the pastors, lead chaplain Jose and his, his team. We sat around a boardroom table downstairs, and we read through this paper three pages out loud together. Chaplain Jose has subsequently met with this group again and again. The next day, as it turned out, it's a Tuesday, 
I happen to be speaking at the uh, Religion uh, Theology Department undergrad worship service for all disciplines, and so they're all Gen Zers there. I had an altar call at the end of my short little talk, and Gen Zers, in front of their peers, come walking down as in Nethery, Nethery Hall, so they, not in Nethery, uh, Newbold, Newbold, they're coming down the stairs, in front of their peers, coming to Christ. Don't tell me that this Generation Z, this Gen Z generation is not ready to be mobilized and enlisted for the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it. Two Sabbaths in a row, by the way, do I need to remind you, this winter, we've had a Gen Zer standing right here behind this humble little pulpit, preaching her heart out. I'm talking about Marion Gonzalez. She's AUSA religious VP, communications major. I listened to her. Preach her heart out and on behalf of the gospel. The very next Sabbath, junior psychology pre-med major Nick Bishop, SM, preaching his heart out. I was so proud of both of them. And then I don't mind telling you that just last Sabbath, not even a Gen Zer, pre-Gen Z, young man named Haman Lego played the part of Job on this, on this uh, platform like nothing I've ever seen before. I'm telling you, there is a generation primed and ready to be mobilized. We just need the ignition. We just need the fire. Hmm. I realize many of you, and I want to give a shout-out to you who teach at Andrews Academy and Andrews University, many of you are looked up to. You're looked up to by these Gen Zers. They think you're the coolest thing around. And I know that God is using you. You're not by accident in that classroom. God is using you. I believe the church's best days. I believe Andrews University's best days are yet to come. God is on the throne. We have nothing to, nothing to fear. Gen Zers are going to be key players in the dramatic chapter to come. So the question is, what do I do? What do you do? What do we do? What next step shall we take? There are two responses. Response number one, if you're young, you must engage this battle. All right? If you're young, you must engage this battle. The greatest battle of history is, is just roiling around you as we speak. What's that mean? Engage this battle. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. I'm going I'm to run three one-liners by you right now. You will not remember the verse. Boo, you won't remember where it's found. You won't even remember all the words in the, these three one-liners. But I've underlined in every one-liner the words that need to get your attention. By the time we read the third one, you say, I get it. I get it. Okay? Let's go. One-liner number one. Who's ever read the book of Job's, Job, rather, Judges? Come on. Judges chapter 5, verse 23. Curse Meraz. You know what? Nobody knows today. No scholar knows. What is Meraz? Is it a place? Is it a person? Nobody knows. This is Deborah the prophetess singing a song, and it ends up there. Curse Meraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. What's going on here? Some sort of battle is raging around them, but these in Meraz refused to come to the help of God's mission. They just sat there. Did nothing. They were, do you know what AWOL means? Come on, A-W-O-L, AWOL? No. 
Well, I'll put it on the screen for you. There it is. It's a military term, AWOL. What's it mean? Absent without leave. Hey, who said, boy, who said you could leave? Who said you could go to town? You have no, you have no leave. Absent without leave. These guys in Maraz were absent without leave. They should have shown up. They should have been there, but they weren't. I'm talking to you who are young. Don't you do that. Don't you go AWOL. You must engage the battle. Okay, three one-liners. Here comes number two. Psalm 78, verse 9. Just like the last one, the men of Ephraim. Nobody knows what this is talking about. There is no historical evidence of this moment, but we'll read it anyway. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows. You know what that is, don't you? By the way, Jonathan Alter, uh, uh, rather, Robert Alter, renders this line, they were deft wielders of the bows. They could hit with an arrow, a dime at 100 meters. So these guys are fully equipped. To the teeth, they are able. Okay, now we got that. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. AWOL. They should have been there. They could have been there. But when the heat got really hot, adios. They're not there. What's going on here? AWOL. I'm talking to you who are young. Don't go AWOL. Engage the battle that rages all around you. Are there battles going on? I was talking to a young co-ed this week. Not a part of that other group I was with. She says, oh my, you have no idea. You have no idea. Oh, I have an idea. We're in a battle. And you know what? Because the Holy Spirit is so big on Gen Zers, guess what? And I, hate, I, I must be candid here. If the Holy Spirit is big on Gen Zers, there's somebody down on them. Guess who? Guess who? Destroy them. Kill them. They're too effective. Crush the movement. Stop the generation. Yeah, I get it. All right, there are three one-liners. Here's the last one. New Testament, 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10. Paul's sitting on death row in the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. He's writing to a young associate of his, Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas is another young, we gather, spiritual warrior, partner with Paul, but when the heat gets hot, when the culture is strong and seeks to suck you into its iron jaws, look out. Demas gone. The world just drew him away. Gotcha. Don't go AWOL. Demas went AWOL. Don't you go AWOL. Engage. If you are young, engage. Engage the battle. You were born for this. I'm telling you, you got to trust me. You are the generation we have to have for this thing to go viral. And it will go viral one day. If Revelation 18.1 is correct, it will go viral. And you've got to be a part of it. Don't go AWOL on God. All right, response number one. Response number one, if you're young, you must engage the battle. Response number two, if you're not so young, you must engage the battle. They're fairly similar, both of those. (laughs) 
because the point is, it doesn't matter your age at all. Young or not so young, the issue is not about your age. The issue is about use age. Just put us in front of age. Use age. Are you using what has been handed to you on a silver platter for the sake of the kingdom of God? Are you using it? Are you using it? What are you talking about, Dwight? Well, let's go to Paul, same, the same Paul that lost his buddy, young buddy Demas, who sucked into the culture and disappeared. Let's go to Paul. He's chained to a Roman uh, soldier right now, by the way, yeah, when he writes these words. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13, then verse 18, for our struggle battle, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces, the armies of evil in the heavenly realms. Everybody's playing for you. Both sides are gunning for you. They need your allegiance. They need your loyalty. You are a key to them, and they know it. You just don't know it. That's the problem. You don't realize how critical you are at this time in history. Armies of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Paul writes, put on the full armor of God. You know that armor of God. What is it? The helmet of, what is it? Helmet of, helmet of salvation, breastplate of, what was that? Righteousness, sword of the spirit. Okay, come on. The belt of truth, feet shod of the gospel. Uh, that's in those little ellipses, those three dots. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, armor listed. And Paul says something he does not add into the armor because this one's nuclear. This is nuclear now. This is nuclear. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The reason prayer is listed after Paul enumerates the pieces of armor, I believe, is because prayer is the most potent weapon of all. It's kind of the ISO. He ISOs it. He says, let's just talk. Let's end by talking about prayer. Nuclear. Nuclear. Why nuclear? Because prayer accesses the source of all nuclear... What would be the word after uh, is nuclear is an adjective? All nuclear in the universe. Nuclear what? What? Okay, I'll take power. That's good. The source of all nuclear power in the universe. That's why prayer is key. Hey, listen, let's, let's, let's listen to somebody pretty bright. He's in New York. The eminent pastor in New York, Timothy Keller. He wrote just, well, it came out in Atlantic Magazine, a very celebrated magazine. February 5, 2023, Timothy Keller wrote a piece. Here's the title of the piece. Ooh, American Christianity is due for a revival. That's the title. Now you got my attention, so I'm reading it. Okay, let's put it on screen. All religions, Keller writes, all religions promote and call for prayer, but historically, during times of fast growth and renewal, Christian movements have been marked by an extraordinary amount of communal prayer. Now watch this. Jonathan Edwards, not arguably the number one homegrown American theologian in the history of this continent. Jonathan Edwards wrote of the, quote, now here comes Edwards speaking, explicit agreement and visible union of God's people in 
extraordinary prayer. Oh, I love those two words. Extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion. If you want a revival, you have to have extraordinary prayer. Now, Keller goes on to comment, unions of believers for prayer, small groups, big groups, both large and small gatherings, have an empowering effect. The renewed growth of the church in the United States will not happen without it. I'm telling you, it's nuclear, and it's necessary, absolutely nuclear and absolutely necessary. And do you know why it's absolutely necessary? Because, because prayer is the one weapon the enemy of us all cannot stand up against. Prove it to me, Dwight. Okay, I will. Satan cannot endure to have his powerful rival appealed to, for he fears and trembles before Christ's strength and majesty. Now, get this. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. We're in trouble now. We're in trouble now, they say. The sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. Keep reading. And when angels, all powerful, clothed with the armor, look at this, clothed with the armory of heaven, come to the help of the fainting pursued soul. By the way, that's just you against the whole army of Satan. Just little me against the whole army of Satan. When that happens, angels clothed with the armory of heaven, come to the help of that fainting pursuit soul. And when that happens, read this, Satan and his host fall back well knowing that their battle is going to take a lot longer than they thought at first. Is that what it says? That this battle is going to turn their way eventually if they just stay at it. Is that how it reads? How does it read? That the battle is what? It is lost. It is lost. There's no argument. There's no debate. It's over. And they obey. My, it doesn't matter whether you're young or not so young. You must engage this battle through prayer in the name of Christ Jesus. Kneeling down in your dorm room, your roommate there, your roommate not there, it does not matter. You're in the dark. You're kneeling down. And what are you doing? You're asking Jesus to pour himself out upon you, to pour himself out upon your roommate, to pour himself out upon the guys across the hall, to pour himself out upon some friends in that other dormitory. In the dark, you're begging him to send the powers away. That's what I do when I go into my, after running, when I go into my little Bethel, my little study, no lights on, sun hasn't, up, hasn't come up, I just get down and start talking to God. And sometimes I use this phrase and I'll repeat it over and over again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sometimes I'm thinking about somebody. I might be thinking about you. I say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on her. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on them. Many times I pray, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us here at Pioneer. Have mercy on us here at Andrews University. Jesus, son of David. Sometimes I, I, I change it up. I say, Jesus... Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on me. 
Jesus, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. The point is, you don't need a, you don't need a class in how to pray. You just pray. He's listened to you. Heaven, shh. Heaven is silent as you pray. They've been waiting for that prayer. And all they need is your permission. And in that prayer, you're crying out your permission. Deliver me now. Deliver me now. I must have you. That's it. Nuclear. The forces, the armies of the enemy driven away. My, oh, my. Was that line again? There will be no resurrection. Oh, Timothy Keller, yeah, no, no resurrection without extraordinary prayer. I want to ask you a question. Are you having extraordinary prayer, uh, Mr. R.A. or Ms. R.A.? Are you having extraordinary prayer in the place where you're in charge of? Let me ask you, uh, uh, Department Chair, are you, having extra, are you having extraordinary prayer where you lead? Let me ask you, teacher, you've got a room full of students. Are you having extraordinary prayer there? Do you open your class with prayer? Do you end the class with prayer? Or you just say, I pray in my heart. How are they going to know there's extraordinary prayer for them if nobody's praying for them audibly? You're the voice. It's your nuclear weapon. How about a Sabbath school teacher? Are you having extraordinary prayer? elders of this church? Are you having extraordinary prayer in this season of the battle? What are we doing? Think this is just going to happen because we believe it will happen? It will not happen. It will not happen. What are you talking about? It. Whatever you want. Revival. You put any name tag on it you wish. It will not happen without extraordinary prayer. I happen to agree with Timothy Keller. He's spot on. Extraordinary prayer. And your Pathfinder Club, extraordinary pair? Is that what we're getting? The academy, extraordinary prayer? The college, extraordinary prayer? Uh, you want revival? <laughs> if we don't use our weapon, how do we engage the battle? And how in the world and in God's name does Jesus win the war if you won't use your weapon? True story. There's a reporter that came out of World War II. He had army rank as an U.S. Army reporter. His name, Colonel Samuel Lyman Marshall. He interviewed hundreds of soldiers in World War II and after World War II, and he came up with a battle theory that changed military books. Unbelievable. On warfare. The books started to circulate. The, 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 uh, the generals were absolutely flabbergasted. This can't be true. But the book said it is true. And in fact, describing the Battle of Normandy, Omaha Beach, June 6, 1944, the wave coming across the English Channel that will eventually bring the war in Europe, World War II, to an end. He describes in his book, Men Against Fire, that in the Normandy invasion at Omaha Beach, only one out of five soldiers fired their guns. One out of five. Well, where were the other four-fifths? As I say, the, the, the generals were absolutely appalled. He died in 1977. The book changed a military strategy, but after he died, somebody said, something's not right here. They went back and examined it and found out 
that he had made it up. He had taken one battle, the battle of Makin. And from the figures in that battle, he extrapolated, this will be true for all battles. And it was wrong. Kind of silly, isn't it? I mean, the idea that people would go into the war and not use a weapon given to them. That is so silly. But then how many of us struggle through every day? How many of us struggle through the long, dark nights without any meaningful engagement of the battle, without even taking the weapon upon our lips? Well, you're crazy. Why would you wake up in the morning knowing you're in a war? You've been born into this war. Why wouldn't you use that weapon immediately? The host will flee. Yeah, it is kind of silly to have nuclear power at the tip of your lip and not exercising it. Wow. You want a revival around here? You want to see the windows of heaven opened up so wide that we won't have room enough to receive it? Then start using, start using your prayer power. Fire those prayers to Jesus. Just fire them. He'll hand it from there. Give him reason. Give him permission to, in, to intervene in your life. And let him, let him do his work in our midst. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Please. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. I'm going to invite you guys to come forward. I'm calling an audible right now. I want you to come forward. Help Wallace is nearby. Just come forward. I want to, I, I want to sing Just As I Am. That's a, that's a, that was a beautiful song that you let us. Sorry to surprise you, but thanks for doing it. And you know what I want to do? I'm going to, I'm going to give an altar call right now. Don't worry about the guys. They'll be here in time. I'm going to give an altar call right now. If it occurs to you that this, this entrusted gift of prayer has kind of sat on the shelf of your life, on the shelf of your heart, and you'd like to give that entrusted gift fresh power in your life and in the lives of those that you lead, or the lives of those that you, you, you play with, you you live with. These guys are going to sing just as I am without one plea. I'm going to invite you to come forward. Okay, hold on. I'm going to invite you to come forward. And by coming forward, you're saying, because I'll come forward with you. And this is not a call for everybody to come forward. But I know I need to use that, that, that power, that nuclear power more than I do. So why not today just say, hey, come on, before we go home and have dinner, let's make a decision. Let's rededicate ourselves. So that's, that's the invitation. Now, if there's somebody here who has never come to Jesus, never publicly said, yeah, I want, I want Jesus. I want, I want him to take charge of my life. I want to invite you to come from the back of the balcony to the front of this church. doesn't matter where you're sitting right now. You're watching online. You can make the decision. But I want you to do the walk. The walk will be important for you. There's some of you here who have not been baptized and just, I don't know, you're saying, well, you know, I've just been putting it off. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready yet. 
Why not make a decision today? You, don't, don't go into this battle without the power that your Savior has for you. So I'm going to invite you to come forward as well. It's a beautiful song. We just sang it a moment ago. You never come to Jesus. You need him. Be baptized. You won't be baptized today. We'll just work with you. Take the time you need. And you'd like to activate this, this gift of prayer, this nuclear gift against the forces. I'm going to invite you to stand up, step on everybody's toes, and, and come here to the front. And I want to pray with you. I'll be down here to meet you. I'm not going to have everybody stand because it's hard. It's hard to step over you and around you. So just stay seated. Close your eyes. Let's, let, let me have a prayer, and then we'll go, okay? Let me have the prayer, and then you guys lead us. Jesus, please. You've given us everything we need in that gift of yourself at Calvary. As the fellow sang just a moment ago, the blood. Now the gift of prayer to access Calvary's nuclear power. Grant that to us. Privately, collectively, just grant it to us. As we sing this beautiful little hymn, Just As I Am.